0: Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region.
1: Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. As a nation whose defense doctrine was based on keeping the smallest possible regular military force backed by reserves to be mobilized in times of emergencies, Israel put a lot of stock in deterrence, Hoping for wide intervals between wars, but deterrence has many levels and many targets audiences, and Israel has, in recent years, struggled with updating and refining this notion as it confronts Palestinian terror, Hezbollah missiles, and most especially the Iranian threat, both unconventional and conventional, and perhaps subconventional too. Has Israel been able to develop a credible military threat to counter these challenges, from cells in Nablus to centrifuges in Natanz, to deliberate Israel's state of deterrence, as well as that of its allies and partners in the region? Let's turn to Washington, D.C., where we're joined by retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who is the former Assistant Secretary of State for Political and Military Affairs in the United States. Thank you for joining us, sir. Also joining us from... Elsewhere here in Israel, Central Israel, to be precise, is Brigadier General in Reserve Doron Gavish, who is a former Air Defense Chief at the Israel Air Force. Thank you for joining us as well, General. Thank you. And with us here in the studio, joining us uh, is Major General in Reserve, uh, Gilsona Cohen, who is a former uh, Army Corps commander, among other uh, long list of positions, of course, in the IDF, and uh, TV7's uh, editor-at-large, Mr. Amir Oren. Uh, who hosts Powers in Play, Watchmen Talk, and so much more. And we'll start with you, Emil. Give us a broader understanding to the the framework of today's discussion. So it's quite a
0: sneaky term, deterrence. And and when we speak about it, we also mean coercion. Um, How do we uh, coerce, compel? other parties uh, to uh, either do what we want or undo what they were going to do um, before um, uh, we acted. Uh, let's take the example of what happened earlier this week um, in Israel, when the Israeli uh, defense forces, along with the Israel Security Agency, surprised and struck at uh, Palestinian uh, Islamic Jihad Targets. Uh, obviously, uh, this particular uh, Islamic organization was not deterred by earlier Israeli actions because uh, a week earlier it struck Israel, it uh, launched rockets into uh, Israel. But the question is, following this particular strike and sparing Hamas, at least um, in the first uh, stage of uh, this uh, operation, is Israel deterring Hamas? Um, how does Hezbollah in Lebanon view what has happened? Obviously, it's uh, discriminate. Israel decides what uh, targets uh, to hit when, and Iran is watching from afar, trying to learn its own lessons from that. Another question is, how long can deterrence last? before it expires. As you said, there are intervals between wars. There is an end uh, to deterrence. All of that uh, is obviously being studied both in Israel and in more hostile places.
1: General Aquin, I'd like to start uh, with you. Within the equation of deterrence, of course, there is the the factor of uh, credible military threat, which should be credible to the enemy. But how do we actually measure deterrence?
2: no way to really measure it. It is actually, you can laugh about me, like try to make a criteria for measurement of love. And actually, the same troubles that we can find with love are really found in deterrence. For example, if A is greater than B, and B greater than C, it means A greater than C as well. This is transition in logical... uh, a con- a conclusions, but if A loves B doesn't mean, and B loves C doesn't mean A loves C, it's the same about deterrence. A could deter B, B could deter C and no way that A could deter C. It means that it is an illogical concept as uh, Amira exactly defined it and even more than that, if we are going back to to Anwar Sadat. He was absolutely deterred from Israeli superiority regarding air force and armor capabilities. And due to the awareness of Israeli deterrence and awareness and recognition of the impact of Israeli uh, absolute superiority, he designed another uh, form and the idea of operational uh, war, absolutely different due to the awareness of deterrence. It means that deterrence not uh, just prevented war, it was an acceleration to bring another new alternative idea for a creative warfare.
1: With that being said, of course, absolute superiority doesn't necessarily mean that you're deterring your enemies. Uh, taking the United States, of course, as an example, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran has targeted U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria, uh, among other places, of course, uh, countless times uh, in the last several years, with the United States very hesitant in its responses, trying to Uh, every time maintain a certain uh, uh, defensive capacity, but not necessarily willing to engage further. General Kimmett, how can you explain that? And what does the United States actually need to do in order to once again reinvigorate its loss of deterrence?
3: Well, uh, first of all, I think we also need to continue the other uh, definition of deterrence, which is uh, you've got to make sure that if you don't deter or compel or coerce the behavior that you're trying to prevent uh, the enemy from uh, uh, carrying out, then you've got to find something far more dear to them, uh, either neutralizing that capability or um, bringing something else to bear. Uh, The example that is often thought in terms of deterrence is how the United States was unable to deter the suicide pilots the kamikaze pilots during the Japanese war uh, in 1944-1945. So it was very clear that we would not be able to deter those suicide attacks unless, one, we had a capability, a military capability, to prevent those attacks from having an effect. or number two, we then had to say, we are going to have to bear the brunt of those kamikazes, uh, but we will make the Japanese pay dearly for it. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere near that uh, to your question about Iran. Uh, We are continuing to pursue, right or wrong, a diplomatic path. Uh, It is clear that Iran realizes that we are unwilling to use military force in response uh, to their attacks against both our allies and U.S. troops. Uh, And so somehow this administration believes that the way to deter uh, the Iranian um, government from continuing to develop their nuclear capability and to uh, continue their hegemonic aspirations around the region uh, is by somehow getting a nuclear deal with them. And uh, I I just find it illogical. Uh, As was said earlier, if you can't coerce or compel, uh, then deterrence or a better deal will never work.
1: Indeed. With that being said, of course, one of the key challenges uh, faced by the Islamic Republic of Iran is the fact that it does maintain the largest uh, ballistic arsenal, uh, surface-to-surface arsenal, throughout the Middle East, particularly uh, threatening Gulf Arab states, uh, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and others, regardless of whatever deal it may have struck with the Saudis, uh, it is still intent on regional hegemony and and, uh, domination to a certain degree. And therefore, uh, General uh, um, Gavish, I'd like to refer this to you as, uh, of course, uh, the top experts in this panel uh, with regard to -to surface-to-air capabilities. Uh, At what point does defensive capabilities or do defensive capabilities Um, contribute to defense, considering the fact that under CENTCOM there is a regional architecture being manufactured right now in order to conduct joint uh, coordination or cooperation, of course the extent of which is not public, uh, with regard to thwarting Iranian capabilities before they
4: actually strike their targets. I think contribution uh, is really the the keyword. the, The what you just mentioned. Because when we're talking about uh, about defense and before we talked about uh, deterrence, this is all part, and if we're looking from, from the Israeli point of view, this is a part of a strategic uh, defense strategy, which have a few components. One of them is the attack capabilities. One of them is the defense, the passive and offense, the alert and the deterrence. So uh, it is important to say that uh, once we are talking on Each one of those components, we have to understand that it is part of a strategy. And by the way, this week we saw that uh, it was Israel initiative. Uh, So we saw the attack this time was uh, was first. So going back to your uh, question, uh, I think Mm -hmm. that uh, it is part of the the deterrence because uh, if we're looking on the Iron Dome success, for example, uh, our enemy understands Mm -hmm. that... uh, they uh, would, uh, it would be very hard for them uh, to be successful in their effort in uh, sending rockets and uh, missiles. It doesn't mean that it, de- it deter them for uh, doing it at all, but for sure this is something that they must take as a uh, consideration uh, on, um, on, on the way that they would success, yes or not, on, on their efforts. So, I think that it is one component for sure of uh, this uh, strategy as uh, the deterrence is part of it. Of course, uh, we see from
1: uh, the Gazester particularly uh, repeated attempts to try over and over again the same methodologies and then expecting different results. Uh, Albert Einstein, of course, had his own perspective on this matter. But when I ask you, uh, Mr. Maybe Uh, about game theory. Indeed, of course. uh, With that being said, Taking Russia, for instance, as uh, also a, within this context, one of the key reasons that at least Russian President Vladimir Putin claimed to be uh, one of uh, the, the initiators of this conflict with NATO's, uh, or not necessarily NATO, but with a NATO proxy as he sees it, uh, is due to NATO's growing capabilities and service to air, uh, uh which then pose a threat to the strategic deterrence that Russia employs, which is, of course, its nuclear capabilities. Uh, Does this then also apply for our equation in the region, if at some point the Iranians will believe that their surface-to-air or surface-to-surface, excuse me, capabilities would be threatened from uh, basically becoming redundant, uh, would that trigger a certain response from them, knowing then full well that uh, the, the return of fire uh, that would come from the United States, Israel, and other uh, allies and partners in the region would overwhelm the regime, undoubtedly? So um, uh,
0: you kicked off uh, several uh, uh, topics. Um, you have the mutual assured destruction of the Cold War, which still applies, not only uh, the American-Russian balance, but also the American-Chinese balance. And earlier, it was the Chinese-Russian balance too. Otherwise, the Russians would have, the Soviets, would have probably attacked uh, China in the 1960s. There's also uh, uh, the topic of alliances, which you uh, touched upon. And then the question of whether the missiles, and yes, the um, uh, Iranians have an abundance of missiles, whether their warheads are going to be conventional or non-conventional. There is um, at least a measure of mutual deterrence here in the Middle East. And uh, Israel too is deterred uh, from invading Gaza, because it is not cost effective uh, from its own perspective. Um, Israel uh, has been deterred from attacking targets within Lebanon because it knows that Hezbollah uh, will respond. But Israel has also deterred all the other parties from invading Israel In great force, yes, there can be raids, there can be terror attacks, but no Arab army and obviously no Iranian army, the Iranians are far away from Israel, is going to invade Israel, which was the great fear in the early years of the state. So all in all, and even though it is time sensitive, deterrence works and has worked for Israel.
1: One of the great examples of deterrence, I think, is the the fact that even though Israel, according to various reports, some confirmed, some unconfirmed, uh, has uh, repeatedly struck the Islamic Republic of Iran, as well as its proxies in Syria, as well as, of course, uh, military components of the Assad regime, particularly its surface-to-air capabilities that have tried to intercept the incoming projectiles uh, targeting its uh, uh, various uh, infrastructure, uh, the Assad regime doesn't seem to have responded even once necessarily. Of course, there were few attempts yeah. to flex muscles, but yeah, they the were errands.
2: Minister declared that one day they will bring the calculation.
1: Of course, uh, one day in the future when they will conquer Moscow or uh, I don't know, young unicorns will become into being, but. Tell us, General, as this is your area of operation, something that you've uh, studied your entire life, uh, to what degree is this deterrence actually uh, from the basis of something logical?
2: Of course. Uh, By that, regarding the Syrian calculation and considerations, uh, all what was written in the Cold War about uh, deterrence is relevant. Really found to be relevant because... Uh, most of all these shelves of book uh, concentrated to the equitation and the balance of threat between uh, water uh, forces and NATO in a context that both sides suffered the Second World War so much that no one of them really uh, want a real war. Therefore, it was really achieved, and the balance was achieved. Regarding the Syrian affairs, Israeli-Syrian affairs, actually the deterrence uh, brought to Israel after 1973 decades of stability, even in 1982, in times that we invade Lebanon, even in times that we engage with Syrian forces inside Lebanon, and much more than that, in 2006, that we invaded again and engaged with Hezbollah in Lebanon, and the front in Israeli-Syrian border was quite instability, not instability, but understability, due to that deterrence.
1: Very interesting indeed, General Kemet. Uh, to what degree do you see the current uh, equation, We're just, you know last week we saw the report coming out uh in which Sencom uh, confirmed that russia fired uh missiles uh, towards uh, uh an american drone in syrian skies of course there is a deconfliction mechanism existing between russian and uh american forces there but at the same time uh, we see also time and again russian Aircraft, Sukhoi, you know, uh, the various types of Sukhoi, uh, quite advanced ones, including the 57, um, heavily armed, flying near American bases, sometimes even over American bases, showing utmost aggression, and yet America does not respond. Uh, it seems like the Russians are not quite deterred in uh, that specific arena, and and also not in, in the Black Sea, where it's uh, even downed one American uh, drone, of course, uh, by non-lethal means, more of a push down there, but uh, it seems like there, this equation is again not materializing into the, the way uh, which we'd expect uh, the most strong military in the world to be perceived as.
3: Yeah, well, I, I think the whole issue of overflights and uh, playing chicken in the air, that's been going on since the beginning of the Cold War 1946. Uh, we have Russian uh, bombers coming very, very clear, uh, very near to the United States uh, shorelines every day. We do the same thing with them. Uh, We play chicken with the Iranian airplanes inside of uh, the Persian Gulf as well. This is just something that happens and has happened for 50 plus years. Uh, The thing that we need to worry about more than anything else is uh, that there is some risk to these kind of activities, uh, primarily because of mis- miscalculation or accident. Uh, but uh, I think we see these types of incidents as just par for the course. Uh, the Russians do it, the Iranians do it. Uh, we do our absolute best to not be provoked into a response. But I really believe that that's an exception to the rule rather than, a, in this case, seen as weakness on the part of any administration since 1947, simply because it has gone on since 1946, 1947. And the most important thing we can do is be very, very sober-minded about it and not fall into the type of uh, trap that they may be laying for us.
1: I think it's very similar to the uh, uh, continuous engagements which have... uh, happen dozens of times every week between the Greek and Turkish air forces, which of course uh, is just one example of of this uh, uh, ongoing engagement between two supposedly allies uh, under the North Atlantic Alliance. But uh, I'd like to ask uh, General Gavish, at what point does uh, the capacity to intercept uh, rockets, uh, missiles, and and uh, provide that strategic tool within the toolbox of one nation um, diminish deterrence vis a vis one's adversary.
4: Yeah, well, uh, at, at least again in in our situation, it is uh, it is a matter of decision. Uh, it is obvious that uh, if there is any airplane, UAV. Or any other means uh, that uh, are trying to penetrate uh, the uh, Israel airspace, uh, it would be shut down. Uh, but uh, we have to remember that uh, it is our decision if we want to shut down any airplanes, even over Lebanon, over Syria, or over other uh, countries in the world, in, in around us. This is something that uh, it, we, it, it could be done by. Uh, by Israel, we have those uh, capacities. We have uh, those uh, relevant uh, systems uh, to do it. So it is really a matter of a, of a decision: uh, do we want to do it? Yes or no. So uh, going to your question, the answer is yes. This is uh, this is something within the tools uh, that uh, Israel have. It could be with the surface-to-air missiles, but also, of course, with the with the airplanes. And uh, at least on this part of uh, those uh, UAVs and airplanes that uh, try to uh, penetrate the airspace of Israel, intentionally or unintentionally, we saw that uh, in in the past, basically basically in all occasions, uh, those were intercepted. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yes, it is a tool uh, that is being used, uh, and and it is only a decision. And, of
1: course, it uh, allows to deal with uh, uh, situations in which Normally, certain uh, uh, militaries would be deterred from action, uh, considering, of course, uh, the consequences to one's home front or the rear. Uh, Mr. Owen, we don't have very much time left, and I'd like to hear your position. But after you uh, provide that position that you would like to state, what could you advise uh, from your perspective to the Israeli government as well as governments around the world uh, with uh, various officials watching right now? What is the action needed to be taken for deterrence?
0: My solemn advice uh, would be to never (laughs) ask me for advice. Um, um, I wouldn't uh, hear my own advice uh, anyway. But please indulge me for a few words about the limits of uh, deterrence. Uh, We have all talked about uh, action, about the employment of force. Uh, You know, um, in um, the military, uh, let's say uh, General Kimmich's army, um, there is a difference between what the the staff, the branch does, men train and equip rather than uh, the uh, command of forces uh, in the field. And uh, Israel and others have not been able to deter the buildup of arsenals. Uh, Israel um, is probably deterring others from building nuclear arsenals uh, because it has demonstrated that it will not stand for any such reactors, for instance, uh, uh, coming um, uh, critical. But um, uh, other than that, missiles, rockets other forces,
1: Israel can no longer deter by threatening to preempt. Indeed. General uh, Aquin, advice to various governments, including here in Israel?
2: Not to be dogmatic with the concept of deterrence, because there are those who are demanding under the name of deterrence just to lead the stupid
3: uh, uh, ideas.
1: Well, General Kim, at your uh, uh, point, and uh, you do have a minute, so don't feel free to elaborate.
3: Yeah, my only point is the two critical elements of deterrence are capability and intentions. Capability, you can't bluff your way into deterrence. You've got to have a capability to not only defend and to respond. And signaling and making it very clear that you have the intention to use it is the second element of deterrence. If you don't have capability, nor a clear intention to use it, then it's just a bluff. General Gavish?
4: Well, I think that uh, the advice that uh, we could get, for, get, get from here is really to continue with an national strategy because the deterrence is, is part of it. And uh, General uh, Kemet is here with us, so I think it is important also to mention that uh, the United States' uh, ability to deter here in the Middle East and also in some other places, this is something which is very important to Israel Because the United States and the United States capability in this region, this is part of our deterrence, And mainly, of course, again, countries like Iran. So uh, this is important also to mention.
1: Indeed. When a submarine of Mm -hmm. uh, some sorts and uh, other aircraft uh, make overflights, obviously uh, those signals are well received, not only as a deterrent to the enemies, of uh, Israel or other partner in allied nations, but also as a signal of reassurance of American backing. Uh, Mr. Owen, you wanted to have one more say.
0: Well, of course, an essential part of deterrence is political will by the political echelon. The military uh, doesn't have a lot of impact uh, on that. And in order to have political will, you must have domestic support. So you have three echelons here, the military, the political and the entire population.
1: And the responsible, uh, the responsibility of the leadership and the political echelons to get the, the public on board. Because without the public, obviously, within democratic societies, it's very difficult Absolutely. to assert uh, deterrence vis-a-vis one's enemies. But uh, this is all the time that we're for today. So I'd like to uh, take this opportunity to thank General Kimmett, General Gavish, General Gwen and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank all of you at home as well. Until next time, from here in Jerusalem, shalom.
0: Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.